0: This episode of Bass Streaks is brought to you by Dunlop Bass Strings. Dunlop Bass Strings are made in California and designed by the players of Dunlop to sound and feel the way a string should, with deep lows, strong fundamental punchy mids, and articulate highs. Dunlop Bass Strings offer a complete line with standard nickel and stainless round wounds, flat wounds, and super brights. They're also available in short, medium, and long scales, so go to jimdunlop.com and check out Dunlop Bass Strings. What is up, my friends? Welcome to Dunlop Presents Bass Freaks. The Bass Freaks podcast is a place to gain some insight and inspiration, as well as learn a little something about some truly amazing bass players. I'm your host, Josh Paul. And our very special guest today is the co-founder and bassist of one of the most badass rock and roll bands in the world, Motley fucking Crew. The man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Nikki Six is here. I'm a huge fan, dude. Thank you so much for hanging with us here on the Bass Freaks podcast.
1: Thanks, man. I'm looking forward to it. How's things going? Things are going great. How are you doing? I'm good. We're down in Colombia. We had a couple shows in Mexico, and then we got um, four or five shows down in South America, and then back to America. Think before we start a U.S. tour next next summer or in the summer, not next summer. It's coming up.
0: Killer. How long is the run?
1: Uh, we're going all the way through the end of the year, and we're already looking at uh, the next two years after that. So we're, we're sort of in the, just planning what next year looks like. And we've been partnering up with Def Leopard for, for this whole tour, which has just been unbelievable to have one touring partner that we get along with so well. We flip flop each night. Uh, we, we travel together a lot of times. Um, We got a big uh, 727 jet that has the the crew, all the equipment, all the bands, all the managers on it. So thank God it's not the 80s. That's all I can say. You know, it's it's pretty (laughs) safe and sane.
0: I was going to say, I'm assuming that things have changed quite a bit, um, not only personally, but um, just with the business itself. um, What are some of the biggest differences for you uh, on the touring end? (laughs)
1: I mean, you know, I've been sober for, you know, over two decades. Um, you know, to me, it's it's like I, when I'm on stage, it's like an opportunity to uh, play the songs that I write, um, you know, with, with my guys, you know, in my band or whichever band that I'm, I'm with, whether it's 6am or other projects that I've done. And you know, it's really about playing for the fans. But there's otherwise, you know, I'm I'm working on books. I'm writing other songs. I do street photography. So okay. it's really touring is a great opportunity to meet and reach our fans. But at the same time, unlike decades ago where I was hungover and whatever all the time, uh, it's an opportunity to get out and actually do stuff. Even you know. Um, see see some of the um, architecture try out some different um, restaurants and stuff like that so in the old days you know we we would say we've been around the world you know a thousand times and never seen anything (laughs) and i was talking to tommy about it the other day and we're like you know just can't do that anymore we gotta try to get out and see it because you know i'm my band's been together 42 years i'm 64 i don't know how many more years I'll be doing this? I mean, I tried to retire in two thousand and fifteen, and that didn't seem to work so um, I, I i just i don't know I don't know how long it'll go. I'm grateful for every single moment and i and I enjoy it uh, but you know more than anything I enjoy creating that's that's like really for me what it's all about
0: yeah, man. I hear that um, definitely uh being present out there is is very important for me, and i, I yeah. Can, I can hear that from you as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about your, your musical journey and where it all started. Was there a moment or someone that you saw, some, sort of, some influence that you saw that made you wanna play? And what instrument did you start out on?
1: Uh, I was never inspired by any particular musician. Uh, definitely ne- never inspired by bass players to play bass. Mm-hmm. I was, um, and it's interesting, I was inspired by bands. So okay. like Aerosmith is my, as people say, like they're they're my Rolling Stones. So I bought their album when I was just a teenager. I don't know how old I was, 15, 14, when it came out. Like the day that Rout album came out, I bought that album. And it, it was after like falling in love with the music and and the list goes on and on, whether it's Slade, T-Rex, Bowie, Queen, Sabbath, Zeppelin, you know, it goes on and on. Um, I was inspired by the songwriting. Like if it was, I could not listen to a band if the song is not good. I just, if the song didn't suck me in, didn't say something lyrically, didn't have a groove to it or something about it, I just, I couldn't be inspired by it. And so then I was inspired by bands and I was drawn to the bass. I don't know why I was drawn to the bass. There's something about the way that I play bass that is not like how anybody else plays bass. I, I don't, um, I don't ever, <clears throat> I don't ever really look at the bass in the same way that I think a bass player looks at it, um, and it's because like i'm i'm inspired by the song and i love the feel of the bass and it's really about the bass and the drums supporting the song which is the lyrics the melody the 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 chord structure that all sits on top of those two things so you know for me it was like listening to aerosmith listening to one way street and then being like wow what's what's the bass player doing but it wasn't like I'm into this band because the bass player is like great and everybody at school is talking about the bass player. I then was like, well, what is he doing? And then as I started playing, I was like, well, what would I like to do differently? Like I'm inspired, but what can I do differently?
0: That's great. That makes complete sense. Did you start um, playing guitar or bass first or was it kind of simultaneously?
1: Um, It it was really, you know, I, I had... Uh, friends that had garage bands and I hung out with them and you know uh, my friend Rick aunt, uh later went on to become the guitar player in Metal Church. Uh, he had a band and he would he would show me chords and I remember him uh, t- we were talking recently and he's like you know for some reason you you never weren't a, a musician yet but you had all these ideas and you really took to it quickly. Uh, so I'd be playing his guitar. He had the Stratocaster, and then I ended up with a, uh, a Les Paul for a second, and then I sold that and I and I bought a bass. I didn't buy the bass that I wanted because I couldn't get the bass that I wanted. And uh, fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on who you are, I ended up <laughs> with a, a Rickenbacker. Okay, and it it just it was it sounded thin to me. It didn't have what I loved about bass, which was this. You know, like kicking you right in the nuts, uh, but it, it gave me a base so that I could play along to songs, and then immediately started writing my own songs. And it and it was really I, w- I really wanted a Gibson Thunderbird. That's like what I always wanted. It's the body shape that I was drawn to. It was the length of the neck. It was the I felt like I felt like I could get around on it. It, it felt i don't know it felt natural to me and i, I know like a lot of people there, like when i first picked up a telecaster i knew that was me or like slash is like it's like a les paul for slash i mean and it's i mean i know he's played other instruments and we've talked about it but that's the instrument he feels at home with so i had this rickenbacker i just immediately started writing my own songs and then ended up uh diana p bass for a second uh, which I, I do love P basses and I have like a 59 P bass that I predominantly recorded a lot of music with uh, a lot of, a lot of Motley Crue stuff, Brides of Destruction, 6am, 58 on other people's records. And I have a really nice uh, jazz bass that I really like. And it was like the, the bird that I was comfortable with on stage and, um, you know, went through different, versions of that i was with gibson i had a 76 um bird that i loved but we used to put pyro gel on the back of the base and lighter fluid on my boots and vince would light me and the base on fire and after a certain amount of time it it, it just you know turned to ash and i didn't <laughs> have a, and i literally didn't have any money so i had a bass tech back then named tim Luzzi, and he said He he knows this guy who knows the guy at BC Rich. And I'd like never even heard of BC Rich. So they brought me over some uh, warlocks, I think is what they were called. And they brought me two, which is like twice what I had before, but it still wasn't a bird. Um, And I really didn't have a choice. I honestly don't think that they sound very good, at least at the time. Uh, We had to do a lot of, a lot, of, uh, a lot of stuff as far as, you know, EQing and to give it enough that when you're in a band, you know, really in a three-piece band, right, with a lead yes. singer, um, if the bass isn't, you know, cooking and driving, the bottom end falls out whenever the guitar player does anything outside of just playing rhythm. So I had those for a while, and then I ended up with a back with a bird. I think that was around Shout at the Devil, and um, then I ended up, you know, designing my own with a couple different companies. And that's still where I'm at today is I have my, my own signature series with Schecter. I have a jazz bass too, that I really love with Schecter. And I use it on a few different songs, home, Sweet home and don't go. Away, mad. But in general, like the bass I have now is the most efficient, uh, instrument that I've had. I've been really, really super happy with it. Cool, super long scale neck body feels comfortable on me. um, very uh, the tones are amazing active pickups uh one thing a lot of people don't know about me is excuse me i i don't really i don't really have the need or the desire uh to have any kind of uh uh control over my instrument i don't want to specifically live i don't want to turn the volume down or roll the tone back it's I, I have everything wired and like, locked down, super glued down, and I just have a toggle switch, so it's on or off. And if there's any, we do a song like Home Sweet Home, like I switch to my fingers, or if we do a song like Don't Go Away Matt, I just pull back and play a little softer, but I don't, in general, really adjust my tone. It's kind of a you know all-on or all-off type right. thing. And that has, I think, a lot to do with how I play bass, too,
0: it makes sense. Uh, that's very cool, actually. I like that. On or off, baby.
1: <laughs> well, a lot, a lot of people like. Um, I know that you know uh, when people go to the Schechter website and they buy. You know, we give them that ability. I'm, I'm not going to take that away from a, a young bass player. It's like you know, I really want to roll the tone back for this song, or I want to get a little more bite on this song. I totally understand that. Makes sense, and it's actually the right thing to do. It's just that. I don't like to do the right thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, another important point though is, is being able to get the tone that you uh, are looking for with your hands to an extent. So
1: that's, that's I mean, it really is. It's about your strings. It's about your amp. it's about your preamps, you know, it's about your speakers. It's about a lot of things um, for me. And then, the aggressiveness of the song, what I need out of that, and a lot of times songs, you know, in motley, a lot of, I I like r- like writing the root note and falling in between the kick and the hi hat and just playing a little bit behind the beat. So a lot of times I'm partially muting my string as I'm you know doing sixteenth notes. So. I'm just rolling my my back of my hand in and out, depending on what the part needs. So a lot of times on a verse on wild side, it's just an egg and it has to be really tight or it just starts to become washy. So I roll my hand into it a little bit and, and almost don't mute it completely because obviously that would be the wrong thing to do unless I was doing something in the studio. Uh, but I just really keep it tight. And then when I open up to the chorus, I open up my picking and, you know, let off of that. So, you know, if you were listening to it alone, you would go, oh, wow, check out that, you know, the difference, the tightness, maybe it's not quite dynamics, but a version of that. But when you put it into the song, I think it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty subtle, that it allows me to feel that I'm playing in the pocket mm-hmm. and not on top you know, are not too far behind. It just it just gives me that because you know with Tommy, Tommy's a solid drummer and he loves to do a lot of movement and whether it's with a hi-hat or if it's with the cymbals or the chinas and coming back into the kick snare and hi hat. So I I would say he's doing a lot more movement than I am, uh, which you know always is like exactly the way I dreamed what a band should sound like. And um, I've had so many people over the years be like, Nicky Six, you know, he must not be a very good bass player because he's not. And I'm like, I like that. I just don't. Do you think if I, like, for, give you an example. If I wanted to do that, like, I would be doing that and telling you that right now. Right. It is nothing, it does not inspire me. The song inspires me. But when I listen to somebody, uh, when I listen to Giddy Lee, when I listen to Billy Sheehan, when I listen to these guys, I'm like, wow, that is those guys are nailing it for their project. Right. Like, it's not about trying to all be the same bass player, same guitar player, the same lyricist. It's about carving out your own individuality and not really worrying about what the quote-unquote uh, standard is, and mm-hmm. like just doing what's right for you. If that makes any sense.
0: Oh yeah, it definitely does. How do you think that you developed your um, sort of unique identity or or voice as a musician?
1: I mean, as a bass player, I'm trying to do as little as possible, mm-hmm. so I'm in the pocket because my job is not to fill out the space. I mean, something like Don't Go Away Mad, or there's other songs where I do have walks, same old situation, I walk a little bit. Uh, But in general, it's the support role, and then the other role I have is as a songwriter, and I think an even more important role is the message that comes from that. So you have a support, you have the guitar, the melodies, the chords, you have the vocals, But what is, what are you saying? And there's a song like Primal Scream. You know, I was reading a book on Primal Scream therapy. And um, I found out about that from an article I read on John Lennon, who had done that. So I'm reading that. And it kind of got me thinking about, isn't that very similar to what we get to do and the audience gets to do when we play rock live? You know, it's that shout 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 it's it's primal scream it's primal so in that song it was about the lyrics and then i remember bob rock was like because we had the verse and the chorus the verse the chorus And he's like we need a little bit right here like like right here and not like me at all i was like do 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 and then yeah. Mick started doing it. And then we were like, oh. And, and now I look back and I go, God, it's kind of a Zeppelin-esque a little bit. Definitely. But it's also, it's like about being open to a lyric or an idea or a riff or also knowing when to shut up, not play the riff, not like rewrite the lyric and let, you, you know, you're, you're in a band. <laughs> right? You're, you're on a football team. You're not, it's not all about you. It's about the band. So I'm constantly going like, what can I do as one of the team members? I have certain job responsibilities. No one else in the band writes lyrics. So I have to constantly through my photography, reading, writing, exploring, look for new things to talk about. And and that message is on top of all that other stuff that we talk about. And when somebody in the audience connects to that message, really makes you feel like, you know, you've gone the extra step other than, you know, hey, baby, I love you. Yeah, I love you. Yay. And you're like... Why did I leave my house? <laughs> Why did I could be at home on Netflix for this man? Like, like this guy got anything to say? So I'm always trying to find something to to say, and and the longer that you're around, the harder it is. Right? It's it's hard. You know, it's really hard. Even in writing books, huh? like my last book that I wrote, the first twenty-one was a great example of waiting patiently. For the message from wherever it comes from you know i have no idea and all of a sudden it was like bam and the idea for the book happened and then of course motivation is wonderful but it's all about the work at that point
0: how long did that take you to actually complete um concept to to finish
1: that, that particular book the first 21 yeah, 21? Oh, yeah. Uh, i don't know about um, but from from conception to printing and hitting the New York Times for six months.
0: Okay, that's actually it's pretty, seems pretty quick.
1: You, you know, you, you it's like going to the gym, right? You go on a Monday and then you blow off the rest of the week, and then you go on a Wednesday the following week. You're not you're you're, you're working out. You know, you're you're <laughs> treating your body good. You're good, but you know, you're never really gonna get to that place that you, in the beginning, the inspiration was, I'm going to the gym for this reason. And then you just kind of go, it's the same thing. It's like, I'm going to write a book. This is what it's about. Um, I have a partner, Simon Schuster. I, I have a, you know, everything in place. I'm just going to do it every, you know, I'll write like once I'll write an hour once a week. And then, like four years later, how's that book coming, Nikki? <laughs> so I'm I'm the kind of person where I'm like, I want to I don't want to get in. I want to do it every single day. And I I always say, you know, embrace your obsession. Mm-hmm. So find something that you're obsessed about, whether it's a bass line, a, a melody, a lyric, a book, a, a piece of photography, and just throw yourself into the obsession. And the, and that's. Um, I do that with my recovery too. Like I am, I throw myself into my recovery so that I can then throw myself into my other obsessions. And my wife always says, "So this is the road we're going down now," <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, I, I really, you know, I have to take it to the end of the road when it finally says dead end." And I'm like, "Okay, well now let's take another road." And just how my brain works.
0: Yeah, it seems to speak um, on on one of the reasons for all of your success as well is just uh, being relentless with it uh what inspires yeah, you
1: it, 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 it's about being relentless like for all of us right relentless mm-hmm. in what we do relentless in love relentless for the love of my family it was like on stage when you're fucking exhausted from travel and you know and you've been on the road for a long time you gotta throw yourself into it 100 percent. you know you you owe it to yourself first and you owe it to the audience second
0: yeah absolutely what inspires you to keep going um after all of this time
1: I mean, as long as i can be inspired um I, I will keep going i don't know what that means or looks like uh-huh. um i saw a interview with bob dylan that was pretty fascinating two two times i've heard this and and i've actually muttered it myself when i was younger and i then i heard dylan and i heard keith richards and they talked about i never really wrote a song i don't think i've ever really written a song either i think the songs just come and as long as you're open and waiting keith's thing is he's like i'm just always playing guitar I'm staring out a window. I'm playing guitar. I'm on the tour. I'm on tour. I'm playing guitar. I'm backstage. I'm playing guitar. You hardly ever see a picture of Keith without a guitar. And then just he'll be sitting there and it's like, and you're like, he's like, Oh, this, that's a nice little part. And he calls up Jagger and he goes, I got this thing. I got a thing. And then they go, and then you have start me up. One of the, right. Yeah. And Bob (laughs) Dylan was doing this interview and, they said, Well, you know, your first, I forget how many albums named all these songs. It's like kid like, like wow. And he's like, Yeah, I don't really know where that came from. And the guy's like, Well, can you can you still do that? And he goes, Nah. <laughs> he goes, I I don't know. Like, I don't know. I just keep playing music, but I don't know if I'll ever write Blow in the Wind again it just came and maybe it'll come again. But, and then he goes, I do other stuff, you know, and he's, um, and he's got like multiple passion books out mm-hmm. and look at, look it up online oh, of his awesome. paintings. So when he says, I don't, I don't know where the songs came from. I don't know if I'll ever do it again. I just play guitar and I write songs. And, and now obviously he's been painting for a long time under the same concept. Um, so, I guess what I'm saying is I'll just, I'm here as long as it wants me to be involved, as long as the creativity wants me to be involved. If it ceases to show up, I'll probably do something else. I don't know what I'll do. I'll <laughs> do something else, you know, <laughs> and and, I'm, and I'll be open to that. I'll be open to that. You know, this isn't like, uh, I have to do this. It's like, I love doing this. It's mm. like one of the most amazing things, whatever it is that I'm doing. But like for my photography, for example, uh, I have my own photography studio. I've done massive amounts of photography. I've released uh, books. I've done gallery showings. And then pre-COVID, um, we, me and my wife, we you know decided to get pregnant. We had a baby. Um, trying to plan it around touring, and so I didn't want to be on the road when that now, it's our, I know it's our daughter, we didn't know at the time, would be born. So that was like really important to me being on the road for all these years and having um, kids when I was a little bit younger and they're older now and they're all kicking ass and doing their own thing. That's amazing. So then COVID came, COVID came and I literally quit doing photography for quite a few years and I ended up going to my photography studio and I would drive over there and I would stay there for eight, 10, 12 hours and paint and paint. That's all I did was paint. And then I saw, you know, this mixed media thing. And I was printing out my photography and then I was writing my lyrics in oil paint. I mean, in uh, acrylic on top of my photography. And then I was painting on top of that. And it was just like layers and layers. And, you know, most of it's just sitting there and, you know, it, it's, it's some of it's good and some of it's great and a lot of it's not but that's that's the creative process you know yeah. it's like you want to be you want to try something you, you have to be okay to suck first yes you have to yeah. be okay to suck first and then put your time in and then you, and you get these little you're like oh wow i just really understood something about my instrument about my lyric writing i constantly look at my lyrics and i'm like i can do better i can do better i can do better
0: that's that's amazing advice on that. note, what is your advice to uh, other players who are inspired by you and the massive success and longevity that uh, you've been able to achieve thus far in your career and and your personal life
1: I mean, I think the number one thing is you just don't even really be concerned with success. Um a lot of times I meet kids and they're like, you know i I started playing guitar about a year ago because of your band. Uh, you know, or, you know, kids will say, I started playing bass because of you. And and um, mom always say, you know, here's the good news. Whatever you do in life, you can always do that. You can always do that. You don't have to be even in a band. I have a lot of friends that play guitar that are fucking way better than I am. One guy's a dentist. One guy's a, he's an <laughs> architect. <laughs> and they just, that's their thing. You know, that's their thing. They spend all their time and they understand the voice. They're not songwriters. They know how to play other people's music, which I, you know, that's a whole other story for me and how I ended up being a songwriter. Um, we can get into that in a second. Yeah. But let's talk about once it. you want to do something, don't, don't worry about the success. Just worry about like, just like, let it happen. Let it flow. Suck it first get a little better, get a little better. One day, maybe it'll be great. Maybe somebody will say, I didn't know you've been doing that for 10 years. Like, let's do something together.
0: So going back to um, what you brought up a second ago, you want to touch on that?
1: When, when uh, in, the, in the 70s, uh, I'd come down to Los Angeles. I lived in uh, Jerome, Idaho, which was, I think it was about popular, I'm not sure if it was even 4,000 people at that time uh but you know i'd really or earlier i'd been in, in fallen in love with music via radio and you know then we start i say like, uh, you know we lived like in a trailer and i i don't even know how i think i was like mowing lawns and doing other i got like a little tiny record player and really started like you know, able to really dive in deep. You know, when you're listening to the radio in Jerome, Idaho, coming in from Boise, Idaho, and it's like all staticky, and you hear bomb, 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 you hear deep purple. <laughs> and then when you can afford to get that album, I think it was Made in Japan or uh, Made in Machine Head. And that's when I heard. The bass part go do 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 and I'm like, what the fuck is that? That sounds like what? That sounds like demons are being summoned. I didn't to really listen to Ritchie Blackmore or Ian Gillen or Ian Pace. I was like, what is That's what I want to do and that's how i started developing who who i was And that's why punk rock connected so much with me and then punk rock and like cheap trick were like and the ramones they're like all somehow like related but it became about the song simplicity the song the lyrics um and then when i came to uh, los angeles in the 70s and i you know worked at a music store and you know i had a i had a Bird at the time, a Gibson Thunderbird. And I I had a, a SVT, same thing I play now, SVT 810 cabinet. And um, at the time I had those old SVT tube heads, which weighed more than I did at the time. <laughs> and I would go to um, auditions. And, there, and, and back then there was a magazine called The Recycler, which is how oh, we yeah. put yeah. Motley Crue together. Um, and it would say, band looking for bass player with gear chops and looks to match influenced by Aerosmith and Cheap Trick. I go, fuck, that's me. And I would get everything in my 1959 VW bug that had no front seat, no back seat. I get my somehow I get my cabinet in there, my head, and you know how big a Thunderbird is in a case. I mean things like so I get it all stuffed in there. And I like drive to this place and I walk in and I load all my shit and I go in there and they're like, okay, wh- whatever the song is, uh, Cold as Ice. Okay, let's do Cold as Ice because it was all about top 40 bands back then. You'd have to play four sets a night of other people's music. Mm-hmm. And the interesting part of it is for the musicians that – did do that? You're playing Donna Summer next to Led Zeppelin, next to Ten CC, next to you know Train Kept Rollin by the Yardbirds. Um, and I went in there and I was there like, oh, you know, dude, you're you're not like playing it exactly like the record. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and they're like, well, you know, we're we're, we're a top forty baby. <laughs> you need you need to just be a copycat. And I said, "Hey, um, I got 25 songs. Why don't we do original music?" Well oh, man, there's no money in that." And I go, well, "But what about the art?" "Oh man, you know, we you got to learn how to play Donna Summer." <laughs> and so this went on and on and on.
0: Did so you play Donna Summer play, though? Did you learn how to play Don? Did you play any Donna uh, n- Donna Summer? N- n-
1: never. I was never. I was never good at being somebody else. That okay. doesn't mean. But, but I think if I if I had, I would have been a different musician and probably we wouldn't be having this conversation because I would have ri- maybe have just been like, I need to sound like everybody else and fit. Right. So I just started putting my own bands together. And then I put an ad out um, <laughs> looking for a guitar player with chops equipment Um, you know, into Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, Ramones. And I would start like, okay, you're good. You fit. Okay, I need a second guitar. Great, you're the drummer. Okay, here's the songs. Mm. And I just naturally became the songwriter, the lyricist, the somewhat of the visionary. And that was going on for a while in the 70s until I met um, Lizzie Gray. Well, first I met Blackie Lawless. And Blackie and Lizzie from and, uh, uh, and uh, in London, Boss. a band uh, called uh, London. Yeah, okay. okay. We uh, we were with Blackie and um, and Dane Rage, uh, the drummer, who would have later go on to be in London as well. So you know, it was Blackie's band, right? It was Blackie's vision, Blackie's songs, Blackie's lyrics. I was just fucking happy to be in a band at like. One guy's not bald and the other guy has a beer belly and they want to play like Donna Summer. I was just I was (laughs) happy.
0: Oh my god, I just got this vivid, vivid vision of that. (laughs) I can smell it. I mean I can smell it, dude.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. My my friends say, You were so cranky when you were younger. I was just so frustrated at mediocrity. (laughs) So I'm in a band with with Blackie Lawless and um he he fired me. Oh wow! You fired me. Well, I mean, A, I think I was mouthy, and B, I think I had my own ideas, and C, I just don't think I cut it. I was too young for what Blackie wanted out of a bass player. Blackie loves the Beatles. He's so talented. Blackie gets a bad rap. Blackie's a talented songwriter, really uh, visionary. He's got. He's done fantastic for himself. He's a. He's a leader. I don't know about the inner workings of anything other than that little band we were in, which was called Sister. And he loves Paul McCartney. So he's a guy who is going, do like, that's the bass part, is different than, which is what Blackie was looking for. And, you know, I would do it, but I just don't think my heart was there. So he fired me. And Lizzie's like, fuck that. And Lizzie quit. And then Dane quit. And then Blackie went to put his band together, later became Wasp and went on. And he made the right decision getting rid of me. And um, I, me and Lizzie and Dane formed the band London. And now it's only original songs. Me and Lizzie are the main songwriters. We were like, we would sit down and we're like, let's, let's like write something that's kind of like Mont the Hoople meets Slade meets, you know, Alice Cooper, like we were just, we were, in those are such innocent, beautiful times because there was no record company. There was no nothing. It was just about the songs. Mm. And, uh, and it was it was cool too, because everyone in the band cared about like presentation. So we got to play, like not only did we have really, I think songs that were above mm-hmm. what other local bands were playing because mm-hmm. uh, it was all about songwriting, We also kind of looked the part for whatever. And I don't think we didn't look the part as in, let's dress up and look the part. We just, that's how we dressed. And everybody in the band kind of was the same way. So that gave London a really cool leg up on a lot of the other bands. Quiet. Van Halen had come, then gone. It had fucking, what an insane band that is. And an insane bass player. Uh, And then Quiet Riot Was up next. And, you know, at the time of London, I was starting to, you know, make a little bit of a name for myself in Los Angeles. And, um, I remember hanging out, I'd hang out with Randy Rhodes in the Starwood Club, which is where me and Lizzie used to work as somewhat, I guess you could call us janitors. We would, um, you know, go and work all day and clean up vomit and, you know, sweep up the condoms and, the, you know, all the old beer and alcohol and scrub the floors. And then at night, we'd go, you know, change our clothes and go hang out at the club all the time. And I was always there when Quiet Riot played, and I stood in front of Randy a million times and watched him. And I thought they had really great songs, and I really liked um Kevin Debro's vocals, because it reminded me of Steve Marriott a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. um, from Humble Pie, and I would hang out. There was the side where the bands played, my band included, in London, and then all, you know, all the other L.A. bands, right Riot was probably the biggest at that time. Uh, and then there was a the bar area, and then there was the disco side. So, you know, what us knuckleheads would do <laughs> is we would, like, go over to the disco side because the girls were much hotter over there. And We'd like, you know, hold up a wall with our rum and coke and the girls, of course, we didn't never danced or would even know how to, but we would draw them over to the rock. Come to the dark side. Come over to where the come to the dark side. And me And me and Randy Rhodes would hang out. There was an asteroids machine in between the disco side and the club side. And uh, we we would always drink gin and tonics. And um, I just really enjoyed having that time with Randy. I was really thought he was just something special. And as we all know now, um, you know, in, in Quiet Riot, and, you know, they were looking for a new bass player. Him and Kevin Debrode had both talked to me about that. And I remember going to Randy's house multiple times with my SVT Head and cabinet, my bass, and I would like his mom and him would help me like pull my my shit out of my car and get it up to his house, and we'd sit there (laughs) on the floor, and and he he was they were talking to me about you know becoming the bass player when the guy they had left, and I I was still not a great bass player as far as a lot of movement. And Randy was so loving and, and would say, hey, this is a song we have called Slick Black Cadillac, Cadillac, and if you play it like this, I'd be like, oh, fuck, that's amazing. And it was like that, I don't play that, that like that. And it was really inspirational. I really liked it. Um, and when it kind of came down to whether it's something I would or wouldn't do, I, I just had this gut instinct that like I have something else to do. Like mm-hmm. I have things I want to say and I just felt like being in somebody else's band probably wasn't gonna ever have that voice. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I stayed put where I was. That band London, I'll remember um, going to we rehearsed next to this punk band called the Mau Mau's above a gay club on Cahuenga in Hollywood. Uh this uh bar called the spotlight and there was like a side door and the punk bands were up there. And my band London was up there. We rehearsed in like office spaces. We could only rehearse after hours. I just remember there being vomit in the hallway and, you oh, know, wow. punk bands hanging out with us. And I was in heaven. Cause I'm like, kind of like a long haired punk at the time and influenced by them. But also, you know, I'm listening to Aerosmith and I'm listening to the sex pistols. So something's happening in my head. And, um, I I went to rehearsal and I said, Hey, I just want to tell you guys that Don Zimmerman is coming to the show this weekend. And at the time London was playing sold out shows on weekends. So we were, we, we were, we were happening. Well, we're just waiting for that. That one person that saw what we saw. And, um, they're like, who's Don Zimmerman? And I go, he's the president of Capitol records. And he's my uncle. They go, why do you never tell us before? And I go, because I didn't think we were ready. Uh. (laughs) I didn't think we were ready. I'm not going to fucking blow that. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So I got a hold of Don prior to that, and I said, I think my band's ready. And I'd gone, showed him pictures. He knew. He knew. One of my favorite bands was the suite which was on Capitol records you know he told me a lot about that i learned a lot about the music business and how it works from dawn when i was younger stuff that i really took to mind started to understand how lawyers work and distribution so i became a little bit more of a top level thinking musician rather than let's rock i was like yeah let's rock but watch out for the sharks yeah. and um he came and he saw the band and i'll never forget like if i can picture it in my mind right now it was the perfect show like they had the singer nigel benjamin who had replaced ian hunter when ian left mott the hoople and they became mott and they put out two albums this guy had a fucking voice on him man like crazy and um then after Mott didn't work, they formed the British Lions, and he had moved to L.A. When we, Me and Lizzie got him to join our band London, which ironically, he was a Londoner, which just worked <laughs> even better, you know. And, it just and, works. Uh, we, hmm? It
0: just works.
1: It just, yeah, it was like everything was falling to pieces, falling together, and I was like, this is it's all happening for the right reason. Like it's songs, and it's image, and it's, it's, it's lyrics. And it's, it's, it's different. You know, the plimsolls were happening, the go-go's were happening. Uh, the U- U2 came out when they were in the beginning and they were kind of new wave. And I was like, what is this? What is this? Like, this is not what we're meant to do. And we, we felt like we were doing the right thing, at least for us. And that's the only thing you can really ever do. And, um, don passed i was shattered i was like how could you pass like and he's like this this isn't right for Capitol records so you know stroke of luck and also probably a massive heartbreak not probably if it was um i went to we rehearsed every day if we didn't Mm -hmm. we rehearsed or we played that's just what we did every day new songs you know blah 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 so I went to rehearsal and I said, well, I got, I got great news and I got bad news. And, um, Lizzie goes, well, give me the good news first. And Nigel goes, give me the bad news. (laughs) And I said, okay. Um, they passed. And then Lizzie goes, what's the good news? And I go, we still have the songs. We still have the band. We still have our following. There's a million other record labels out there was distribution. There's a million things we could do. And Nigel said, "You know what? Fuck you. I quit." Wow. And I was like, "What? What do you mean you quit?" And he goes, "This this ain't going to go anywhere." And he did. He left. And that time, I was starting to write a lot of stuff like "Too Fast for Love," um, "Public Enemy Number One," which was on our first album. Was actually a song that me and Lizzie wrote that was in London. Uh, I started writing a lot of these songs that were intended uh, for my band, but now I don't have a band. And then we put Motley Crue together and I I kinda already had a head start and I had a little bit of a learning, like learning like what worked and what didn't work. On like Public Enemy number one, there's a part where it goes, day, da da da. -da 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 And I forget where we stole that from. It's probably the suite. Uh, or something, but every time we played that in the clubs, everybody, you know, how many ever people there four or five hundred people, all put their fists in the air. Yeah. And like as we were starting with Motley Crue, it started like bringing in these chants and things like that. I mean, you hear it with "Shout at the Devil," you hear it on, on a lot of our songs, even the choruses on things like "Looks to Kill." She's right. got "Looks to Kill," like really yes. simple and yeah. easy to connect with a mass crowd, um, and. That's kind of how, you know, Motley Crue started. And then obviously everything that happened up to Motley Crue was like a lesson for me and things that I wanted to do or not do or ways that I wanted to to be a member of a band, how I wanted to play bass in a band. And I just, you know, thank God or the devil or whoever it is, just one day put all the pieces together and, now I'm sitting in Columbia 42 years later talking to you.
0: That's so crazy, <laughs> man. That's so great. That's so great. How, yeah. how have you been able to, I mean, you've had you know the band for 42 years and you've done side projects, 6AM uh, and, and Brides. Um, uh, what is your secret to um, keeping the band together and just overcoming all of the challenges that, that come with that?
1: I mean, honestly, the the way you keep a band together is just by not breaking up. So you gotta find a solution. It's just like any relationship.
0: Yeah,
1: it's like you know, squeezing the toothpaste at the you know the wrong end can seem like what a ridiculous thing, but a small thing can get on people's nerves over the years. You you gotta learn how to talk about it. Yeah. be friends about it. Uh, be teammates together. You know, how are we going to go? from the draft to the super bowl how are we going to do it how are we going to get into the playoffs it's yard by yard it's it's first down by first down it's little by little I'm chipping away at the stone um and and never quitting you don't quit you don't break up not right. always going to be roses it's not always <laughs> going to be roses you know if, if you think life's about that's just about roses like i don't know man you're you're in for some uh big disappointments in life. You got to be, you got to be able to understand that life is about hills and valleys and there's, you know, summer and there's winter and there's on season and off season. And it's that way with our creativity. Sometimes it's like, if I mean some of those early Motley crumbs, I don't even know where the fuck those songs came from. They just like (laughs) fell out of my ass. And you know, it's just like, like, I mean, I, I remember I was like on sunset Boulevard and these biker guys came up and they started to fight with me. And I had a belt on, that had some chain links in. I took it out and I was defending myself and I whacked this guy upside the head. And he went down another guy and a cop car uh, under unmarked cop car pulls up and these guys, jo- and I don't see that. I just see more guys coming to me. So I'm just flailing, swinging this, this belt and I'm punching and I'm, you know, it's like. I'm not going to get my ass kicked. And I was just walking down the street. I wasn't even doing anything, you know? Yeah. And then I get jumped by all these guys. They throw me into, I was, it was an unmarked police car. And I went to jail for assault on a police officer, which is complete bullshit. And they ended up dropping the charges. And I got out of jail and we had a show at the whiskey and go-go. And there's some photos somewhere where like my face was pretty, they beat the shit out of me pretty bad on the uh-huh. way to, uh, to a West Hollywood jail. And I had this black eye and part of my cheekbone was cracked and we had a show, you know, that I got out in time to play the show and then they dropped the charges. But what happened was a song called knock em dead kid, <laughs> right? It inspired. So a, a lot of things in life come from just inspiration or just being there walking down the street and seeing a, a, a thing. I remember the song smile from 6. AM. but mm-hmm. One of my favorite songs and me and James were just talking and talking, being friends and talking. And I was like, what's the most, what's the most beautiful thing about a woman? You know, what, what is the most, what, what is the telltale signs of just this beautiful moment from, uh, with a guy and a woman or two women, two guys, whatever it is, you know, um, and we said it's the smile when you smile. And we wrote that song Smile. And I don't know if you've ever heard it, but I have, yeah. um I sent it I sent it to my wife <clears throat> a couple hours before we got married, just because we're not supposed to see each other. So we were mm-hmm. at the uh, a hotel in Beverly Hills and you know, I was in one room and she was in another, and it just made her cry because it was so simple that it was just her smile or my smile or maybe your relationships that smile, that moment of simplicity. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times as creatives, you can just walk through life and things happen and you can write about it. So you just have to always be writing, always be playing, always have your eyes open. i like, always have a camera, always have a notepad or your phone making, and just... Here it comes, like Keith Richards. It's just like, huh, where did that come from? I don't know. But don't question it. The only thing I always try to tell people is please don't edit yourself. The worst thing that we can do is to edit ourselves because our head has like so many critics in it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, you could do better. Oh, that's not good. Or the band's not going to like that. Or blah, blah, blah. And just do your best based on what you think your standard would be. Now, I read a lot of Charles Bukowski because I love the way that he framed a poem or a short story. And I also like writers, you know, long long gone, but like William Burroughs and stuff and a lot of stuff that he wrote in the uh, late 50s and 60s and, and, and how he was just in it and writing about it. He wasn't sitting, you know, in his penthouse writing about this lifestyle. He was living the lifestyle and writing about it. And and I just, you know, believe that if we can just not just shut the critic out in our head, and I have like things that I do that help me with that, it's naturally going to happen. But just as a, as a, as an artist, don't, don't let any outside influence. Don't let anybody tell you you got to play Donna Summer.
0: <laughs> Just be, your, be
1: yourself, man.
0: <laughs> yes. I love that, man. So you're doing all these great things. You've had, you know, um, so many different creative outlets. What is something that you want to do that you haven't been able to do yet?
1: Um, I'm partners. Uh, I formed a company with... um Uh, a massive uh, director in animation. Uh, I'm just not quite there where I can tell anybody who it is, but we're working on an animated show. We've already had meetings with a lot of the major distribution companies for this show, which is about young kids and music and it'll have to have original music, which also gives me an opportunity to co-write with a lot of my peers. So I'm like, Hey, I need a song about this. And it's like, Oh, cool. Let's write a song. So that's, Very, that's starting to come together. I really look forward to that. And, um, Like a series. I, yeah. Okay. yeah, episodic, yeah. Okay. episodic.
0: Very cool. That's exciting. I cannot wait to see that.
1: Does anybody out? Do you guys want to know anything about my, um, uh, basically like my equipment? Is there anything like bass yeah. players or listeners might want to know? It? Yeah. yeah, So like be- I use, if you're interested, like I use SIT um, strings, and they're power wound, the nickel strings, and I, I do like a 15 to a 55. Um, I like a little bit heavier gauge. I, I remember listening to one your podcast actually with Billy Sheehan talking about using a 120 on the bottom and how he could lower the action on that. Thought that was really interesting. I mentioned it to my bass tech and his eyes rolled back in his head. It's like, <laughs> oh no! And I remember Billy saying, oh no. So um, I use uh, I use the Sure 84D wireless system. I find that to be the most solid, and also. Uh, what i like about wireless systems and i've never done it but i know the guys in acdc do a lot of times when they record they record through their wireless systems really because it adds a comp- yeah it adds the compression mostly to guitar but it adds the compression to it that makes it really thick so it's really interesting And then my clean tone, I used a direct input. I used an uh, SVT-DI, tube direct. These are the ones that actually have a tube in them. And anybody that wants to look them up, they're really super hard to find. I find that it's kind of like my my base tech uh, friend says he thinks it's like my secret weapon. Mm. So for anybody out there, it's an Ampeg SVT-DI tube direct box. They're not easy to find. Uh, but it's in my system, and that just adds that – to my clean tone, it adds a lot of punch. And then for my overdrive, um, also on direct, I use like an MXR uh, custom audio electronics boost overdrive, and uh, and it goes into an MXR base DI. So that, that kind of that whole thing allows me to do what I do and have a roundness – and yet some brightness to it at the same time, you know, I, I, I'm always kind of like, you can hit like, like a a low, somewhat of a low E on a bass, I'll be on a piano, bang, bang. I'm like, that's what I want my bass to sound like, Mm. like that piano-y round ambient, but you can feel, feel it in your gut a little bit. Um, and then, like my amps, I use uh, the SV the SVPS, the sixteen hundred um, stereo amplifiers. But the, the re- I would love to carry around some of my nineteen seventies um, SVT heads, but you know they're they're fragile. They're nine thousand. Uh, they're pounds heavy. Well. Yeah. Oh, how, how much how much do they weigh? I don't know, but they're heavy. No. Oh. Oh my god, dude! They're so fucking heavy. Yeah. Uh, and then my cabinets, I use um, I use the same thing I've always used. You know, eight eight ten cabinets. Um, sometimes I use a uh, two fifteen along with it. But I'll be honest with you: with in ear monitors now, I don't really need cabinets for what yeah. I do. I mean, on such big stages, there's nothing that I'm going to do with my cabinets that is going to make a difference. 20 feet away or on the other side of the stage. So I find the lower my volume or none, just using, I don't mic my cabinets live. There's too much other noise up there going on that, that makes it a mess for out front. The whole goal for the band is to be completely in control of your sound so that the sound man can then mix it. You know right. the days of you know a guy with eight Marshall stacks and you know ten eight ten cabinets. I mean, it's just do you do you I, like to I be just, able to? We used to do that. I don't do that anymore.
0: Yeah, I will say I do like feeling the cabinet. You know, I, in ears are great. Yeah, in, in
1: in re, yeah in rehearsal. Yeah, like I I will. Yeah, I'll have it up, but. You gotta understand on these on these big stadium yeah, stages or even arenas, state, yeah. it's it's yeah. hard it's it's hard to feel it. I, I'm with you. There's nothing. I mean, I have at home. I got a little a little uh that little tiny SVT looks like a baby MPEG SVT cabinet. Yeah. I yeah. Forget, it's called a SVT mini or something. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I put a fuzz pedal on that thing, and my <laughs> wife's like, "Can you turn that down?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like. I'm like, this is the only time I get to hear my cabinet because we play <laughs> in such big stages. Leave me alone. I got a wah down there and shit. Oh, She's nice. like, oh my god.
0: Do you ever uh, run any other effects aside from the um, overdrive?
1: Not not really. Sometimes I'll put a fuzz in there, but I just all the bottom falls out of it. I think a lot of this stuff is great for recording. Yeah. I really do love messing with some stuff. I love delays, um, but You know, in general, like, you know, I was telling you, I have an on-off switch, you know, for my bass. It's in my hands, the controls in my hands, and the tone. We've talked about the tone and where it comes from. And then in the studio, we could mess around with, I forget, one of the new songs Bob Rock worked on. We did like four or five songs for The Dirt. One of them, I had like a wah. And I just cracked it open a little bit. And in the recording, you can hear it. But live is not is not such a thing, you know, for me.
0: Yeah. On the, uh, I get that. I get that. I was going to go back to the fuzz thing. Some of the, uh, like the MXR um, fuzzes that I have been using, they didn't really drop out the bottom so much. So you might want to check it out. <laughs>
1: Oh, which one? Which one is that? Which right. one is that? Actually,
0: they're kind of designed for that. So, any of the uh, the distortions or the fuzzes, the, the bottom doesn't really drop out at all.
1: Yeah, um, that's great. I mean, a lot of times, I've used the fuzz to write. Uh-huh. I feel like I'm kind of like having a guitar player and a bass player all in one. You know, a lot of little. Riff ideas that I have—it's—it's—it's yeah. it's, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun. So I'll check that out as far as I don't know if I'll put it into my live rig, but definitely you know, oh, check I know it you, out. I know I, what you uh, need to try out. I, Nick
0: Nicky, is the uh, Justin Chancellor Wah, the fuzz Wah. You'll love that thing.
1: Oh, okay. Just on another I note, will, yeah, I will, I will check that out. Um, another thing that I do—I'll leave you with this—is you know anybody. If you followed me at all, like back even early Motley Crue, you'll see like in the seventies and stuff when I was in London, my pinky finger would wrap up to the bridge mm-hmm. and I would hold it because two things, the, uh, the uh, bird is head stock heavy, mm-hmm. so it would fall. So right. I would be playing and like, it felt like I couldn't control the bass as much, so I'd lock my finger under there, and then as the years came, we came up with this thing, which uh, is called the OptiGrab, which is actually trademarked. Uh, but we took it from the movie The Jerk, when <laughs> um, Steve Martin had developed these the, uh, this thing on your glasses in the middle of your glasses, so you could pull your glasses on and off. And he became, you know, he was like, remember, I don't know if you remember the movie or not, but he's like, you know, lived like in the South and the swamps. So now he's like this multimillionaire off this thing called the OptiGraph. And then people started going blind and then he got sued and he lost all his money. So we named this thing, the OptiGraph, which is on my basis. And I lock my pinky underneath it. And that's just. Gives me control of the instrument, whether I'm holding it straight out in front of me or I'm tipping the headstock down or up. I always have complete control. The
0: so kind of a bad kind of a news handle? is
1: that the bone is basically worn out on my pinky finger uh, from from that. Like if you rub on the bone on my pinky finger for more than more than Motley Crue, even before Motley Crue, it's just. Uh, wear and tear on that oh. part of my finger that gives me control
0: damn okay sacrifice
1: <laughs> yeah yeah
0: sacrifice <laughs> well dude good luck on the run i hope to see you out there Thanks. and uh, i wish you um, continued happiness and health and success Thanks, man. and we really appreciate you jumping on here and taking the time As we wrap up this last and final season of the Bass Freaks podcast, I want to take a moment to really thank Dunlop for making the show possible. It has been such an honor to be able to host this show. I'd also like to thank each and every one of the bass players who have contributed their time and expertise and good hangs. And thank you so much to all of you for listening in. Um, Stay inspired, spread those good vibes and spread love